morning's message, as you can see from your handout sheet, the parable of the nagging widow. The parable of the nagging widow. Take your Bible and turn it to uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. And we're going to be considering the first eight verses uh, in the sermon this morning. The parable of the nagging widow. You know, it's uh, one of my prayers that uh, God would make uh, Grace Church a praying church. A praying church is a great church because it's a humble church, and it's a church in which God is able to work through the hearts and lives of His people. You know, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, the Scriptures tell us that. And uh, for a church to become a praying church, it means that, A, it it must become a priority in your life. And your priority is, uh, and your priorities are indicated by your schedule, and our priorities, priorities are also indicated by what we give it, our monies to, right? But our schedule, our time. I agree with uh, Billy Graham who said, now that I'm very, very old, I recognize the, the three things that God gives, talent, treasurer, and time, but I realize that time is by far the greatest of all stewardships. And I say that now, speaking of Billy Graham, because my time is almost gone. I wonder at times, sometimes, whether down in North Carolina, he wonders if death has lost his address, because he longs for heaven, I'm sure. Uh, and so our time. And so as we, you take your calendar and mine, and it represents our priorities, I say, uh, what does it say about, uh, what would your calendar say is the priority of prayer in your life? And it's my prayer that uh, we as a church grow in this thing as we grow in the uh, discipline, the spiritual discipline of daily prayer and quiet time, that God grows us up. If you would say, if you put it into a normal school grading type thing, and uh, maybe when you're saved, you're in uh, kindergarten at that point, and you began to discover some things about prayer, where would you be? I mean, are you still in third grade? Is it remedial third grade? Is it the long division? That's the thing that we were terrified. My mother said, oh, oh, third grade is so difficult. Why is that? My long division. Oh, I was scared of it before I knew what it was. You know, <laughs> I, yeah. so like, I'm still in third grade. We should be, by now you ought to be, you know, you should have graduated, right? You should be out of school, way up and, and so on. And it's a matter of time and commitment and making it important and uh, going in, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, and shut the door behind you and get on your knees by a chair and pray where no one sees you, but God who in heaven, your Father who is in heaven, will hear you. Remember that uh, teaching in Matthew 6, particularly chapter 7, 6 and 7 of Matthew, and practice that and, and uh, grow. And, and I say to you that God will teach you, if you've not learned, more delights in his presence than anything else. You see, God has saved us, as Ron has told us in the sermon, not only from the penalty of sin and from hell and to heaven and the glory of that, but of the joy of his presence now and the pleasures that are at his right hand. Jonathan Edwards' favorite verse, Psalm 1611, and thou hast shown me the path of life, and at your right hand are pleasures evermore and the joy of spending time with the Lord. It's, it should become reflexive to you. When stuff happens in your life, you, you feel the great need. I've got, a, 
I've got to excuse myself and go in and shut the door. I need to talk to the Lord about this. That's what you are saved for, to walk and to grow in grace when the ups and the downs and the celebration and everything in between, that we grow and we come to understand that, that uh, to be little with God is to be little for God, but I'm spending time, I'm commuting, I'm talking. And then as we go our way and, and uh, we're mumbling and driving and, and we're, you know, all day long, it should be kind of like an ongoing, we're here, we're focused, but we're rejoicing, Lord, Lord I can't do this, and that, what about the, you know, that's the mark of a maturing godly man or woman. That should be the mark in your life if you've been born again. You know, that you would learn to spend time in prayer. Now, it's a hard discipline, and Americans are not known to be great people of discipline. Did you notice that? The Germans are more that way. Some of you have some German blood in you. They have other issues. I know in our family, German, we work, 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 and then we work. And then we get heart disease, we take our heart pills, and then we work. We keep working, working. You know, <laughs> I grew up in a family like that, right? You know, let's talk more work. I got the idea, talk's not work. Now I spend my whole life talking. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so it's sort of, but, uh, but we, we, we're not big as Americans on discipline, but discipline, the spiritual disciplines in prayer and developing and asking, Lord, Lord, make me, I'm tired of being in third grade, fifth grade, seventh grade, how many years? Grow me up. I want to be a prayer warrior. I want to know the joy of your presence. And, and it's not like, uh, do I feel like it today? You know, like, uh, you know, like this. You know, like too many of us are like driven that way. I got news for you. I get, and I say this all the time with apology to Mark. I, know, I never feel like brushing my teeth. Do you? Some of you do. Some of you have beautiful smiles, right? But I, I, at night, I'm exhausted. All right. Mm, Mark said I had to do it for five minutes. Mm, I'm usually thinking of it. Uh, usually, I'd rather be in bed, and you're probably glad that I brush him, and so is Faithy. But, uh, you know, it's not like, do I feel like doing that? No, there's certain things you do. It's a mark of maturity, and it's a mark of a man or a woman who loves Christ and growing in grace is growing. And, and as each of us say, Lord, make us that way, and, and in the collective sense of the community of our church, our church will grow. And God say, well, you know what? I can trust them for more. I'm going to be greater glorified to them because they're really dependent, wholly trusting in me. And that's, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. Come along in the journey. That's what we want to be as a church, a praying church. And to help us to that end, the parable of the nagging widow. Well, you know, look, I've introduced it by saying most people hate a nag. Think of the, the verses in Proverbs that talk about a contentious wife. We don't have any of those here. But a contentious wife is better to live on a rooftop then a contentious wife. Do you see the picture of nagging, 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 nagging? Do you see that? Cut the grass, cut the grass, cut the grass, cut the grass. Oh, I think that's the, that's the idea here. And most people hate a nag and go to great lengths to avoid bumping, bumping into one. They figure it out after a while, right? Perhaps you have the habit of nagging and wonder why oftentimes you're left alone. Uh, I hope that's not so. And then I just wondered, is repeating a prayer request to the same thing as nagging God? Like, here I am again, Lord. Here I am again. Here I am again. Here I am again. I don't know. You think about it. We're going to unfold that idea. Truth be told, here's the truth, I think. Most of us find it hard to pray. Very hard to pray 
let alone to keep at it until we get God's answer. There are many reasons for this lack of prayer in our life. None of the reasons are any good, believe me. Someone said, what is the reason is the skin of a what? Skin of something, an excuse that's a lie or something. Anyway, none of them are any good. Like what? What's, what's a reason we don't pray like we ought to, at least pray? Well, physical weakness. We grow tired. Couldn't you watch and pray for one hour, Jesus said? That shames most of us. One hour? He prayed one hour? One hour? Couldn't you watch it in Gethsemane? Remember that? You know, and the body is weak. Oh, boy, it's weak, isn't it? The flesh is The body, the spirit is willing. The body is weak. Our lazy lack of discipline. Let's just admit it. You know, there's a laziness in us, a tendency toward lethargy, inactivity. We don't make the, make the time to be alone with the Lord. Uh, third, our calloused indifference to the world in need, which ought to drive us to prayer, but we, we just we kind of check out. We're here, but not really. Or our, fourth, our lack of faith in God's promises. Now, I tried that. didn't work, you know. Uh, he's God. We're not. i got news for you. He's not. You got, we are his servants, and he does whatever he wants to do. It's not the gimme, 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 he didn't give it to me. No, he's God. You're not. I'm not. He is. And we got to realize that afresh, and we need to keep our trust in God. Though he slay me, Job said it so well, Yet will I trust him. You know what that means? If you're on a boat and it's sinking and you're crying out to God and it's sinking, I'm going to stay with him all the way. And if I'm going, if he takes me down and that's it, I'm going up. I've said that. I told you. People on airplanes, they think you're a little wacky. I mean, they say, hey, if this thing's going down, I'm going up. Yeah, really? Okay. And they kind of move over, away from you. <laughs> Trusting the Lord. Uh, five, our pride. We think too highly of ourselves. Our pride, you know, I can handle this, Lord. I can handle this, you know. Peter was like that. He's a fisherman. I can handle this. He fished all night, caught nothing. That's humbling for a professional fisherman. I can handle this. I'm a, I'm a pro in this, right? Lord said, throw the net on the other side. And Peter's complaining, I fished all night. In other words, he's rebuking the Lord. Nevertheless, at your will. All right, plan <laughs> He does, and they got a draft of fish so great they couldn't even bring it in. And uh, we have two great, our, our prayer life uh, really indicates our, in, our pride in our own heart. I can handle this. I can do this. I don't need to, and the Lord is calling for us to have a, a, a substantial prayer life. And, and finally, just our outright rebellion of heart. We are rebels. We are rebels. You look like saints today, but you're a rebel. You are a rebel. We have a sin bent that we're not separated from. Someday we will be. Uh, the, uh, thank, thank the Lord that uh, the penalty is paid for and the presence is God sanctified is being weak. It's weakened, but it's still there. I mean, Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You know, oh, man. You know, so and you know what that is and so do I. Well, Jesus knows us well enough to know that we would struggle with prayer, namely persistent prayer. So he told us, he told the parable, encouraging us what? Always to pray. Always to pray and not to lose heart. Now when he says always pray, we're going to see in here, doesn't, please, don't, it doesn't mean you're driving down the road praying. Keep your eyes open, hands on the wheel. 
uh, but it means to not continually without a break, although we ought to have the attitude mindset of prayer all the time, but we need to do what we need to do to function in the world, but we have a regular continuous prayer life. Sometimes it's longer, sometimes shorter, and it's an ongoing conversation, and that's what it means. We want always to pray and not lose heart. Aren't we quick to lose heart? Oh my, I knew it would fail anyway. <laughs> and not lose heart. Remember, God is listening. God listens when we pray. One of my favorite verses, uh, Psalm 94, 9. Uh, two questions, but they make the point, the rhetorical. Does, does he who implanteth the ear not hear? In other words, the ear. And notice they're on both sides, and that's instructive. One mouth, two ears. You know, as the, we ought to listen more than, you know, speak. He implants the ear, the whole amazing organ of hearing. And they're, notice how they're funneled forward. Isn't that an evolutionary, just a, man, isn't that something? Funneled forward? No way. It's perfect design. And uh, even this little thing, that you, a lot of you ladies uh, put your earrings in and all that. You go like, they thought this thing was nothing here. You know, like, well, what's that? And then they discovered, oh, wait a minute, that little sack holds blood, and that blood is 98.6 usually, or a little bit less, and it keeps the cartilage warm, so when you go outside in a buffalo winter, hey, pick up that ear, your ear just fell off, froze that boom, there, and God knew exactly what it is, it funnels in, there's a little sheet there, and then that uh, translates into three little bones in the, in the middle ear, into an auditory nerve, and there's a whole piston system, and the brain goes, amazing, who do you think made that? You think the one who made all that doesn't hear? That's the point, 94, uh, 9. Does not he who implanteth the ear not hear? He hears. The Lord hears my voice. Don't you know that Psalm 116, 1? The Lord heard my voice. The Lord uh, uh, hears my voice. I sought the Lord. He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear toward me. I'll call on him as long as I... The one, the one who made the concept of hearing. There are only five senses in your body. Five senses. You say, that person doesn't have sense, right? No, he has five senses. She has five senses. Sight, ear, taste, right? Touch. What's the other one? Smell. That one we could do away with. Anyway, but no, no, that's not true. Oh, I love a good meal when it's cooking, don't you? Oh, man, that's good. Anyway. But, uh, and then, does not he who made, uh, form, did not he who implanted the ear not hear? Does he who, does not he who formed the eye not see? God hears and he sees. I'm saying God listens. Psalm 94, 9, memorize that. That's a great psalm. Well, let's read our passage in Luke 18 and hear our words, the words of the Lord as he encourages you uh, to be diligent, disciplined, and persistent in seeking him in the prayer needs and concerns that you have in your life and that I have in my life. And we'll see that there are two parts of the story of a nagging widow encouraging us to be persistent in prayer and to never, 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 never quit. Never quit. Proverbs uh, 24, 16, a righteous man falls seven times. He falls. He falls. He falls. He stops. And then he gets up. Get up again. So maybe that's the word for sin. Start again? A lot of life is like starting again. How many diets have you ever had in your life? Like 10,000. We start again. Faith, we're going to do it again. <laughs> yeah. I'm learning how to 
try and play some uh, instruments again. I, I'm starting again on that. My, my fingertips are numb. I've been worried. I was going to ask Jason about that because my, uh, the, the guitar are killing me. Is that normal, Jason? Is that, they're like killing me, trying to play the guitar notes and that. I want to I learn how to do that. Starting up again. A lot of life is that way. Have you ever noticed that? Never, never quit. Luke 18. Let's just read the first eight verses. And that's, and he, that's Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and never lose heart. Jesus said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward... He said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, referring to himself at the second coming, will he find faith on on the earth? Well, there are two parts uh, of this amazing story. And isn't Jesus the uh, master storyteller? Amazing. And don't we love stories? We do love stories. Children love stories. That's a lot of you like uh, good movies, right? Well, what's a movie? It's a visual story and from this point then and how it develops, the characters develop, the plot line develops. Uh, stories are great teaching tools, and Jesus is the master storyteller. Well, in verses 1 to 5, we see the first part of this story. Jesus makes good use of a bad example. Jesus began telling, in verse 1, the purpose of his parable. Now, this is a little unusual. If you look at and study the parables of the Lord, he doesn't do this. He usually unfolds a story and makes the point at the end if there needs to be a point made. But here, he tells it right at the front end. It's like, don't miss this. Now hear this. Now hear this. Uh, continue to and pray. Uh, continue in your prayer life and never give up. Then he tells the story. And then at the end, he wraps it up and applies it. It's unusual. Don't miss it. Don't miss. It's like, uh, it's no different than when uh, you were in school and some of you still take a class or two, and you go like, hey, what's on the final exam, teacher, professor, whatever? And they go like, uh, and, and you're writing like mad because uh, you weren't uh, paying attention like you were. You missed a class or something like that. And the thing that he or she says a couple of times, you kind of like underline it. Uh, I better reread that chapter. Mm, he's given, she's given me a big hint here. He's given me a big hint. You know, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Hear this, and the Lord's making a point and telling us, don't give up, keep praying. Well, the story has two main characters, as you saw. First is the crooked judge, and in my life I've known some judges. I've known a couple crooked ones, a couple ones that my father said, oh, he's, he's on the take. I go, what do you mean? He says, oh, the mafia's got him in his back pocket. And that was city judge for a lot of years in the city. Uh, uh, I mean, I didn't see it. And it's funny how you see life through your parents' eyes, you know, like, ah, oh, he's, a, he's a crook. And I used to deliver the paper uh, to him, and I had no dealings with him. But uh, 
there was a grand jury that later found him to be a crook and they put him out. So that was kind of interesting to see that whole thing play out. And so here's a crooked judge. He's not the first one. He lacks the two qualities essential for true justice, right? He, he didn't fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He didn't fear God. That's, that's 101. That's the most basic thing. We can, we can learn and teach our children and our grandchildren and our friends. The fear of the Lord. We're living increasingly in a country that has no fear of God. No fear of God. No fear of God. Just open, blatant, just uh, we're God, you're not, don't bother us. We'll stamp out anything that is a facsimile of God. And this judge is like that, in that he had no fear of God. And second, he didn't care about people. That's what the text said. He didn't respect uh, a God, uh, uh, fear God, or respect, or the idea of caring for people. You go like, well, what in the world is he doing as a judge? I mean, he's in Israel, I would imagine. There, Jesus telling the story. Well, Second Chronicles, Evan Yashit 19, 6 and 7, uh, tells of the requirement uh, in Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, this day, when the judges were picked. Uh, and you can look it up later. I'll just read the reference to you now, Second Corinthians, uh, Chronicles 19. Consider, and I'm quoting, consider what you, for you judge not for man, but you judge for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality or the taking of bribes. There in Second Chronicle. Well, this man in Jesus' story was quite the opposite. You should also know that in that day, that oftentimes takes place, sometimes, I'm sorry to say in our country, a lot of times in a lot of countries, they grease the rails, so to speak, right, with briberies. That's a very big part of getting a legal remedy is, uh, is to grease the rail with a little bit of money. Well, this widow has nothing. She has nothing to give to any judge, unjust, uh, a wicked judge like this, to help her move her case along. She is completely vulnerable and destitute, according to the story. Well, the judge is ungracious. He is unloving. He is unmerciful. And, and in fact, we'd say he's just ungodly. He, and he knew it too, and according to Jesus' words. Because in verse 4, at the end of the verse there, he repeats the same thing about himself, that he doesn't fear God and he doesn't respect people. So he knew it. He's looking in the mirror and he's uh, rather proud of the fact that he's sort of a, a self-made island and he becomes his own God kind of a thing, you know, and so on. Well, we might say D is utterly selfish to the core. We're all born selfish. He's selfish to the core in carrying out the Lord's work, uh, adjudicating justice uh, for this woman who uh, was uh, under attack by her adversary. Uh, and finally, we're going to discover he's so selfish, even when he finally, in a delayed sense, does the right thing. He only does it because it was in his best self-interest. He was getting worn down by this lady, continually coming, coming, coming. Might say nagging, nagging, nagging. Oh, there she is again. Oh, she's driving me insane, insane. And so that's the crooked judge in the story. This story is played out, can we say, a million times in human history uh, and so on. Well, the crooked judge. The second character in this parable of Jesus is the widow. And she wants justice uh, and would not stop fighting until she got it. 
I mean, uh, she's amazing. Her situation is desperate, probably involved the financial matters for most such things involve dollar signs, and she was uh, cheated out of something or hurt in some monetary way and uh, wanted uh, someone in a position of power to adjudicate, and she was not going to get it uh, for a long time. Uh, being a widow, you should know, uh, according to the scriptures, she was among the most vulnerable people in society. There are three classes of people that are vulnerable, that the redeemed, the church, God's people, one-on-one -on -one and bigger, need to be concerned with and care for, particularly. They are the widows, they are the orphans, and they are the foreigners. And we have plenty of those in our area, uh, even in our own church, that we would look after those whose hubbies are in heaven and uh, to care for them and provide for them. And Paul gives great lists there in caring, making sure that widows are financially okay and, uh, and so on. He said that those that are under 60 should remarry and, and so on. Uh, consider that. Uh, but they'd be happier if they stayed single, even as he said he was. Uh, he had been married. But uh, in any event, the widow, she's very vulnerable. We're very sensitive to, in our own family with, uh, with my mother, who's quite aged now. And, I, and uh, I said to her, you know, it was God's will that I not live near you, Mom. And I, I carry that burden on that in, 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 help in shepherding a church uh, far away. And uh, I'm just so thankful that uh, you had a large family and my brothers and a uh, couple of my brothers and... Uh, uh, one of my sisters live in the same city, and uh, they're, uh, they're there for you. My youngest bro brother, Eddie, is there every week, you know, kind of looking after the place, and, uh, and it needs, and she's, uh, she's getting, she's aged, and shouldn't be driving, but she drives, oh, and uh, she's telling me she needs a new car. I go, like, oh, I don't think you need a new car, Mom. <laughs> Please. That's a scary thought, you know. But um, it needs to be cared for, you know. If a man doesn't care for uh, those in his own household, and his family is worse than an unbeliever. And it means both ways. You know, we said that for years. You know, Mom, you put diapers on. No, I won't, I won't finish that thought. But, I mean, that the, you know, it's sort of caring for. And that's biblical. Parents are to train their children so that when they're older, that they would take care of them and return that. The mother becomes a child, or the child becomes a mother, becomes a child. And that's the flow. Dobson would often say that. And you guys were so wonderful in the care of your mother. I, I'll never forget that. No, I, uh, with Myrtle, that, that was so beautiful. And some of you have done the same thing. And, and, and that's the way to do it. And it's, it's hard. And in a certain age, they say, well, we're the sandwich generation. We got, we got uh, our kids are coming and they're young adults and they're, it's taking forever to get established. And then on the other end, we go like, oh, you know, like, and that's life. We're not in heaven yet. We're not home yet. And God will give us strength to do the right things in that. But even as a church family, to care for the widows, the orphans, and that would mean even families that are broken. I, I agree with MacArthur on that, that the divorce ravages homes at times. And there are kids with no dad around. You know, they're vulnerable. Think of the day we live in and the, and, and the taking advantage of, of people without a, a strong man around to say, hey, and protect them. I mean, I think of the different things that only now as I look back and think of different things that could have went on that my father was there and had a sense that I didn't have. 
and uh, tried to uh, protect from evil. You can't, and totally. I mean, that happens, right, in the world we live in. But the orphans, the little ones, and we, we need to have be a church that has a heart for children, heart for kids. We really pray that we have a tremendous ministry with our young children, five-day clubs and vacation Bible schools and, and active Sunday school classes, and, and really developing that to reach the next generation and perhaps through their children reach their parents really praying that as we develop here and then move to the property using the house and the rooms for Sunday school classes and this kind of thing and VBS and our neighborhoods there and so on. And then finally, uh, the foreigner. There are all kinds. The whole world is coming here. All kinds. Just go down to Starbucks on a Saturday night. You'll hear like six languages. And they'll gather around there and I'm just like amazed, amazed at it. And Eastern European and Latinos and the Asian, all over the whole world is coming here, and they're foreigners. And if you've ever lived anywhere, if you've lived somewhere different from where you grew up in the States, it takes a while to get in. But imagine leaving your own culture and going somewhere else. There's no safeguard. There's no safety net. You're kind of out there, and you need particular care and attention. And that's why the, the scriptures say, watch out for the widows, care for them, love them, the orphans, the fatherless, and uh, the, the strangers or the foreigners that are in your land. And we're to be a philiozenos, a lover of strangers. That's a mark of a Christian. Love someone who's different. You know, we tell, it's easy to love someone who's just like, oh, they're like us, we love them. But love someone who's different, speaks with an accent, broken English, they maybe have an odor about, maybe they're not able to care them. Loving them and allow the love of Christ to flow through you to them. Well, this, she was a widow. She's among the most vulnerable in society. Uh, she lacked power, right? She lacked power. No reason to think that she was older. And that day, the women would typically marry at 13 and 14 and 15 years of age. They didn't. A lot of times, I know you read some of the old ages, they lived a long time in the antediluvian world pre-flood, and then after, and the age is dry. But without penicillins and medicine and all kinds of things, a lot of times, the average age, they lived to be 40 years old, 42 years old. And so maybe their hubby her hubby died at 40. You know, I, some of our family friends, the men, one died 40 and one at 42. And in that day, pre-modern uh, medicine and all that, doesn't mean that she's uh, greatly aged, though she may have been, but she may have been younger at this point, having married early, had, uh, and uh, her, her husband is, is now dead. She lacked power. And she had only one thing going for her, only one thing, one thing. What was it? Persistence. That's all she had. And she, you know what? She wasn't afraid to use it. I love it. She wasn't afraid to use it. She pulled it out continuously. She kept using it down. She wouldn't take no for an answer. Would not take no for an answer. Eventually, she wore him down, this unjust judge. You know, if we keep asking for something, just even in the world, we're not talking about in prayer, but just in the world, we keep asking for something long enough, sometimes we can get what we want. We, we all have learned that. You know, children have mastered that. They do. Have you ever seen it at the mall? Mommy, 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 mommy. You want to go over there and cork the kid, you know? Please answer that child, you know? Like, <laughs> just, you just take the donut. There you go. You got it, you know? <laughs> And children learn that at such an early age, if they just, and, and they're, they're powerless, they have no position, that is a young child, but all they have, like this widow, is the one thing, persistence, 
Just keep asking and keep asking and keep asking and wearing him down. And her pissed persistence was all that she had. Uh, and so the judge gave her her request, not because it was the right thing to do, but only to get rid of that crazy lady that night. She's driving me nuts. And he figured it would cost him less to give in to her. That's what he did. That's why he's so utterly rotten, reeking, in a sense, selfish in his, uh, his way. And that's the first part of the story. That's the story that the Lord is going to use. Uh, he makes good use of a bad example. He's not commending the unjust judge to us. He's actually going to argue from the lesser to the greater here to go from this despicably wicked judge who should have been far, he should have been righteous in this judge and be the defender of the weak and the poor, but he wasn't. And he's, a, he's just a scoundrel of sorts. And maybe the Lord is just reading this off the Jerusalem Post that came out that day. But he uses uh, a bad example uh, and he puts it to good use to show a huge contrast. In verses 6, 7, and 8, the second part of the story, Jesus urges us to persist in our prayers. Why? Because God is completely unlike this wicked judge. Verses 6 and 7 and 8, Jesus said, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God, this is Jesus speaking, give justice to his elect, that's you if you know him as your Savior, you're the chosen one, who cry out to him day and night. He's looking at a very extreme situation where we're crying out in prayer. I mean, just think of that. Will he delay long over them? I tell you. He will give justice to them speedily. He'll answer that prayer. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, we find faith uh, on, the, on the earth. Well, in fact, the contrast between God and this crooked judge could not be any greater. Uh, why do I say that? Well, look at God's character here. Uh, God is, first of all, He is just. He's just. He's always on the side of right. That's not just a comic strip with a superheroes, you know, uh, Superman and, and, uh, and the rest, Spider-Man, for, for right. And, uh, no, where do they even get that romantic idea from? It's, it's ultimately and finally from God. He's, he is always on the side of right. He is always our final court of appeals. No matter what comes your way in life, he is. There's one thing, I said a, a zillion times, there's one thing that the Supreme Court is not. It is not supreme. It isn't. God's court is the final review. And continue to pour your heart out and appeal to him for all the stuff that happens and things in your life and needs that you have and the wrongs and, 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 and this and that. Uh, appeal to the Lord. I have been wrong many times and so have you personally in, in work experience, uh, maybe in family experience, maybe in the neighborhood. Maybe, uh, maybe, right? Uh, the uh, appeal to the Lord. You're, you're bypassing them. You're going to the top. I mean, the buck really does stop there and appeal to him. The Lord say, that's not right. They bypassed me. Or, that's not right, Lord. They, they, they chiseled me out of money in a, in a, in a job, in a bill. And, and Lord, I'm appealing to you to put it on their conscience, you know. I pray that same way with our landlord. I thank the Lord this week. He sent a check. We, we received the check for the security deposit in full, and he's holding back that 1280 on that uh, rent reduction. 
And he said, uh, I, t I mentioned that last week to you, and he's going to send it over four months of equal payments. And uh, a lot of guys go like, well, we'll never see that. Well, that may be, but I keep talking to the Lord about it. And you know his heart, and uh, you know it's his mon uh, your money, and uh, he knows what he said, and he would be a man. Make him a man of his word, you know. And so I pray that way, and I trust he's going to follow through, you know. I I really, and God will prompt him in his heart next month. I'll let you know because that, now that I've said that, I'm not going to because I really appreciate all that he did, and we want to invite him to our. Uh, our ceremony and when we celebrate our, in our new chapel, because Earl, Dave, you even said it, was a tremendous help to us for a lot of years, and we're so thankful for that place. And so I pray about that. I pray about a lot of things that way. I appeal to the Lord. Lord, I'm, a, I'm appealing. I'm going past maybe my immediate, whatever, right? Up to you. You uh, turn the screws of the heart, you know, and uh, the Lord... Uh, has a way of doing that. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord like a watercourse, like your hose you're out there. The Lord turns it wheresoever he wills. How about that? God's able to say, well, we don't have kings. No, get the principle is the authority in your life. Anyone who's an authority or anyone who, who has a position of power there, maybe they owe you money and you need that, see? And the, talk to the Lord about that. The heart of the king, that person, man or woman, is in the hand of the Lord, and uh, the Lord turns his, his wheresoever he wills. The uh, memo is that you're going to King James. That's how it sounds. And so that's what you and I need to do. God is always on the side. He is always the final court of appears, appeals. Often we have great frustrations in life. Often justice is not done. At times it appears evil wins. And we get hurt. And that happens. Well, we're encouraged to pray, aren't we? For sooner or later in God's timing, and his timing is perfect. We'll talk about that in a moment. He always writes all the wrongs. Now, he'll do that finally at his coming. And that's ultimately the, the answer to what we're to be praying for. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thy kingdom come. Jesus taught us that'll be the day when it's all corrected. And until that time, he answers the, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man or woman avails much, accomplishes much. And God is pleased to glorify himself through our petitioning and asking. Now this Genesis 18.25 is a great example of this, the justice of God and the wrestling with God in prayer and persistence. Do you know that verse, 18.25? So keep your finger there in Luke, but just go back to uh, 18.25. It refers to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, uh, the Lord Jesus, uh, in a pre uh, uh, Pre-Bethlehem state uh, appears with two angels in the form of a man to Abraham. Abraham is um, uh, living far away from his nephew Lot at this time. Lot's down in Sodom. Uh, and uh, and uh, it's, a, it's an amazing account for a lot of reasons here. But uh, particularly, uh, the Lord uh, tells Abraham what they're going to do. They're going to wipe out uh, Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin. And, uh, and we'll pick it up, 1822. Look at it right here, the context, and I'll show you a great verse. So the men turned from there, and they went towards Sodom. Now the men are the appearance of two angels that look like men. 
But Abraham uh, still stood before the Lord. The Lord was the third one. He appeared as, it was, it's a Christophany, he appeared in the appearance of a man, but it was the Lord Jesus before the incarnation. And Abraham standing before him now, in verse 23, then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Talking about Sodom. And he knew that nephew, his nephew, uh, Lot and his wife and all their family and all that were down there. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Um, will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you, Lord, to do such a thing, uh, to put the righteous to death with the wicked. See, he's assuming Lot's family has a godly presence of at least 50 in Sodom. That's what he's reasoning here with the Lord. He's petitioning the Lord. The Lord says, I'm going down, we're going to, he tells them what they're going to do. Now he's talking to them face to face. Now we do that in prayer when we wrestle with God. Lord, would you do that? And, and far be it from you, and look at this phrase. Now here's a phrase that all the Christians through all the centuries have memorized this. Uh, uh, 1825b, shall not the judge of the whole earth do right. Now that is a, an expression that you should know that. 1825, uh, 18, Genesis 1825b, the latter part of that verse, shall not the judge of the whole world, the whole earth, do right. It's rhetorical. He always does right. He's always on the side of right. He's just. He's just. And that's a, a way that he's far unlike this unjust judge in the story the Lord tells. It's a... Uh, it's amazing. Well, second, who is the Lord? He is, God is loving. He is loving. He knows his people by name, and he promises to save us. In this story, the widow is nameless. Notice that? She's nameless. She was a nobody to the judge. If she was a somebody, the judge would have done something, don't you think? If she was, say, an aristocrat in the community or the upper echelon or a member of the country club, which surely he was a member, he would have certainly bent over backwards to give her what she But she was a nobody. And her name isn't even mentioned here. Not at all to the judge. But you know what? God knows her name. And God knows everything about her. And you know what? You say, well, I'm a nobody. I'm not, nobody knows much about me. Nobody really cares. Yes, he cares for you. God is loving. He knows everything about you. Your DNA is completely unique. Your fingerprints, your life, that you should be born at this time in this place, and that he loves you. You are loved more than you could ever comprehend. He loves you. He's a loving God. It's a wonderful truth. Jesus tells us that God will take care of his chosen ones, his elect, in verse 7. And, uh, and based on the doctrine of election, we have a claim on God. This ought to provide us with more confidence to keep on praying for the things that God puts in our hearts. Even before we pray, we know that God loves us, cares about us, and is ready to, uh, to act on my behalf. I mean, it's, we are His work from beginning to end. God has a plan for our life. I mean, He saved us. He's called us. It was His plan before the foundation of the world that you should be saved if you know Him. And so in the ups and downs and all around life, you go like, Lord, and I'm like, I'm yours. You know, you save me for your glory and your purpose. Now, this is a problem here. And, uh, you know, I'm your trophy. Uh, I don't see there's much here, but please, it's your problem, not mine. That's the way to pray. 
That's the, really the way to pray. Lord, this is your problem. You know, I bear your name. You know, you said, come, here I am. And just, get, keep, just keep giving it to the Lord. Give 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 it to the Lord. And teach your children to do that and your grandkids. You know, I was, uh, I was thinking about um, uh, a zillion illustrations went through my mind this week, and I thought about that, to just share with you a couple things on uh, what Faith and I did uh, uh, trying to teach our children that God always hears, always hears, and into persistent prayer, and that God rewards. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And, uh, and uh, a couple of things that uh, we would do, and Faith, is, she's, she's so creative. She's a, I, I like steal the idea, but it wasn't my idea. <laughs> she came up with a jelly bean jar. And uh, as we... Uh, uh, as we would have uh, some, uh, a little bit of, depending on their age, where they were, after dinner, faith make their, and then uh, several nights a week then, because families all together, not rushing out. And we would work on a little memory verse, teach a little bit of what it was, and then we'd, and then we'd take prayer requests and pray. And then uh, she, she said, well, we're going to do the jelly bean jar thing. And every time God specifically answers a prayer request, we're going to put a jelly bean in the jar. And I can't tell you, or a period about, I'm a little fuzzy on the years now, three or four years, whatever it was, that you're filled up. It was like, and, and, and it caused us to be specific because sometimes we go like, well, did God answer that or didn't he? Well, we, if you couldn't measure it, didn't count. You know, I pray for all the missionaries in the world everywhere right now, Lord, thank you, amen. That doesn't count. You never know. <laughs> and so on. So what, and, and that thing filled up. And, and my kids began to realize that, you know, hey, Dad, let's pray about this because God's going to answer prayer. And, uh, and, uh, and it really helped us, too. It was exciting to see that. Nobody stole those. Like, hey, I think I'll take a jelly bean out of there like Ronald Reagan in those days. Uh, let me tell you about one particularly because uh, we wanted to particularly teach our kids uh, it's good to pray, and it's all right to share prayer requests. It, it's all really okay to do that. And in fact, uh, you know, in a collective, in a church sense, have more people praying. There's an increase in power that, that uh, two or three or more, or even more church-wide to do that, and, uh, and so on. So we, uh, in the very early years in a church plant, we did this once before, and, uh, and we, uh, uh, we were, we, and the Lord always met our need, but it was very, 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 very tight. And Faith, I don't know how she did it, that she got groceries every week, and we were able to pay the mortgage, and uh, we burnt wood to heat the house, and all that kind of business, you know. Some of you can't imagine that, but it's really, we really did that. And so we said, you know, what would really help is if we could get a freezer. Well, freezers are pretty expensive. And uh, so we said, why don't we, why don't we pray and ask the Lord to provide a freezer there while we could maybe get um, ahead of time or get on sale. You know how that works. And, and in the end, they're all buying half cows anyway. They're all half farmers, you know. So they like, <laughs> grind up the deer meat with everything else. And so and I go like, well, okay, we're going to pray about that. I remember Sarah saying, she went to the catalog. In those days, you have Sears catalog, and she's cutting out freezers and made a little thing like that. And so we prayed, we prayed on that for, uh, for many months. I said, no, this is a secret. We're not going to tell anybody, anybody. Okay, and they're like, okay, yeah, we're going to tell the Lord that, this kind of thing. And I remember Sarah was yay high, and she goes like, she goes, Dad, I got one question. And I go like, what, honey? And she goes, are we praying for one that opens like this or one that opens like this? <laughs> and I go like, I really don't care, dear. I really don't care. Okay. <laughs> well, you can imagine the excitement in our house as the kids had prayed, and we pray that in secret. 
I think it was for five months. And on a Sunday afternoon, I got a doorbell rang, and uh, uh, Larry was at the door, and he said, uh, he's backing up, uh, uh, he had a vehicle, and uh, he's backing it up in our driveway, and I'm looking out there, what is going on here? And he said, hey, you know, I hope you don't mind, but <clears throat> we, were, we, we were buying a freezer yesterday, and it was in the barn, and there were two of them left. I don't know what, they, they were new, they were new for you. And, uh, and, I, and my, Betty asked me, does Pastor have a, do they have a freezer over there? She said, I don't think they do. He said, well, I hope you don't mind, but we just felt like we thought that, you know, that'd be important for your young family and all that, and so we wanted to, can we give this to you, you know? For, and, and my kids are like, their eyeballs are like, wow, this is so great, God. Oh, Lord, praise God. You know, and, and we end up going like, there goes the jelly bean in the jar. And uh, praise the Lord for his goodness and his kindness. And uh, I could give you story after story of walking by faith and trusting the Lord and just, just being all out there. Just, just let it all out there. Uh, from the heart out, love the Lord and just, just be the same wherever you are, everywhere. And say, Lord, teach me this and make me persistent. I'm so weak and I'm undisciplined and yet I want to come to know you in a greater way even as pastor talks about. I yearn for that. That's what God made you for himself. Sometimes God sends trouble in our life because it's the only time you pray. He goes, like, I haven't heard from you in a long time. It's nice to hear your voice again, you know. Like, sometimes we're laying down in the hospital looking up, you know, and, and praying but uh, to pray and to be persistent with that. Well, God is just, God is loving, God is, is, is wise, and particularly with his timing, uh, especially true with his timing. Even though God's justice seems slow in coming, doesn't it? we like, oh, it's agonizing. It's like Psalm 13, how long, how long, how long, oh Lord? <laughs> God's waiting room, that's Psalm 13. You may want to read that this week. Like I think about you, I'd probably like, Lord, give him so many houses, he'll be yelling, uncle, I give up. <laughs> and that day will happen, you know, under God's sweet grace and, and deliverance, you know. God's timing, though we can't see it, he's up to a lot more things than what we can see at any one moment. It's like a chessboard. You know, you ever, some of you play chess, but imagine God's chessboard with his decree and purpose. It's like, it's like maybe a thousand chessboards all at the same time moving towards his ends. And we go like, I think I know what God's doing. I got news for you. We're completely and utterly clueless. He's working on multi-dimensional levels and bringing about purposes for his glory. And it's right on time. He just wants to work in your heart and mind to be men and women of faith, to grow up and to trust him. And not to do it for one day or two and say, oh, I give up this, you know. But the effectual, fervent, that means with heat, fervent prayers of a righteous man. We're not righteous, we're sinful, lost, deserve hell. He saved us positionally. We're righteous, and he's making us righteous like Jesus. He is. God's timing is so wonderful. And, and, and remember, he is never, never ignoring us. His delay is not denial. Some of you think that, and that's not a river in Egypt. His delay is not denial, and he will do the right thing when it needs to be done. Watch and wait for it. His timing is perfect. Pray. Pray. A couple of things on, on timing. Uh, we do not persist in prayer because God does not listen, but we persist because he does listen. God will answer our prayers in a way that brings him the most glory. 
and prayer is not a way of talking God into doing something he does not want to do, that's not prayer. On the contrary, we persist in prayer because God is just, wise, and a loving God who listens carefully when we pray and will answer our prayers in the best possible way at the best possible time. We need to trust him in this. For the Lord, 2 Peter 3, is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards us. He is. And of course, Jesus, is he not the perfect illustration of uh, persisting in prayer? I see I, my capital letter B got lopped off. I must have cut that off. <laughs> uh, Jesus is the illustration uh, in our, isn't he the perfect illustration? Think of his last uh, day, our days on earth there in Gethsemane. Father, take this cup from me. There he is in the garden. Take this cup from me. Never, not my, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Then how about when they nail him to the cross in the last hours of his life? Father, forgive them. But they know not what they do. It's no wonder so many were saved in Acts 2 on the first day of the church. Many of them that were crucified in answer to Jesus' prayer, the Father saved them. And then from the cross as he hung there, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Abandoned, became legal sin, your sin and mine. Only time ever he referred to God as my God, not my Father. And finally, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I mean, it was, it was a prayer service the whole time. And the Lord is a wonderful example of this never quitting in prayer. Never quitting, never quitting. So keep on praying. Don't lose heart. One man wrote, prayer is the holy habit of a sanctified heart. The holy habit. It's like a reflex. It's a reflex. You go to the doctor and you like that little reflex thing he's got there. It hits you there and you go, isn't that funny? My leg's moving. Well, it's a good thing it's moving. You know, that, that nervous system, short term, doesn't go to the brain and say, move. It just, whoop, there it goes, there it goes. It's a reflex. And that's the way our prayer life ought to be. As we grow in grace, it's a real, I've got to talk to the Lord about this. Just reflect it. We talk to the Lord during the day while we drive at work and, and so on. It's the holy habit of a sanctified life. So to persist means what? It means spending a quiet time, a daily quiet time with the Lord in prayer. It also means coming to him with your personal needs for provision. Give us today our daily bread. It means all of the provisions of life. Bread is the most basic, right? Don't you love good bread? Right? Give us today our, your housing, your clothing, your, the essentials of life, right? Pray for provisions. Pray for protection. Lead us not into temptation. We live in a world fraught with evil, and, 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 and so we pray, Lord, protect. And so we pray that way for our loved ones, our little ones. Cover them with your prayer. How about peace? Oh, we saw a lot of times with the turmoil in, in, in the world, in life, in our jobs, and work, and the economy, and everything. And you watch the news, you just go like crazy. Lord, give peace. God gives peace. That's shalom. He gives peace to those he loves. Lord, I need your peace, the peace with God. Grace, how about grace in, in life? Grace with broken relationships? I mean, uh, people walk away, people say things. Anyway, to try and mend them as much as lies within us, live at peace with all men. How about power? Power in our life. Lord, give me power. That's victory over our indwelling sin that we all have. 
Lord, give me power so I don't say that again. Or I don't do that again. Oh, God, I'm weak. I'm, Lord, help me. May the power of the Spirit of God help me. Power to persist even. And even that's a good one. Lord, Pastor talked about persisting in prayer today. I, give me power to do that. I want to do that. Please give me that. Persistence like a little child. Maybe that's all I have. Give that to me. And pray for your family, your friends, your church. I need your prayers. I need your prayers. Your country. Pray, pray, persist. Even when you don't feel like it. There you go. Lessons for our life when we're done. Number one on your sheet, to persist in prayer means spending time daily alone with the Lord in prayer. Start today if you need to. Take some time this afternoon. Go in into your closet, your bedroom, or somewhere. Shut the door and, and, and talk to the Lord and, 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 and begin. Come to enjoy the joy of spending time. It, that's the greatest thing, really, is the joy. And he gives a song. You might find yourself the burdens lifting, and he gives a song to his dear people in the midst of, uh, uh, of it all. There's so much pleasure to be found at his feet. Number two, teach your family that God answers prayer. I put that on your sheet. Borrow the Zabolski jelly bean jar. Go ahead. You can use it. Take it. Remember that Hebrews 11, 6. Uh, uh, he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. God rewards. Isn't that great? Ask, seek, and knock, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Number three, know that you'll never grow in your maturity in Christ without a well-developed, disciplined prayer life. So go for it. Start a prayer book, a specific prayer book. Measure, maybe you've never done that. Uh, I've had a couple of them through the years, a diary or something, whatever works for you, uh, so that you'll grow in this thing because you will never grow in, into great maturity in Christ without this well-developed discipline. Oh, there's that D word again, discipline, prayer life. But you know what? The God has so many delights and joys that he'll show you there. And the things to be able to, to put on your heart and glorify himself through answering through your requesting that you'll never regret. You'll never regret. You get the end of life, you're like, Lord, I should have spent more time. What was I thinking? Oh, Lord. Oh. I mean, we're going to spend a long time with the Lord in the days to come. We might as well get a jump start on it. And uh, he won't be such a stranger. Number four, everything we know about the character of God ought to encourage us to keep on keeping on in prayer. Don't be a sprinter. Fast out of the blocks and over in 10 seconds. Be a marathoner. Practice push. Remember push, right? What's it mean? P? P means what? P means pray. What's the U? Until. until. Pray until the S? Something. Pray until something happens. Push. Practice it. Pray until something happens. And you need faith in the face of delay. That's what he's talking about. When he returns, will he find the faith on the earth? He means, will there be believers that take him at his word and trust him and persist in prayer even during the final days looking for him? That's what he means in verse 8. And finally, perhaps the reason you don't pray, and I always have to ask this, is that you don't know the Lord. You've never been born again. You need to cry out, Abba, Father. Jesus invites you today to pray the sinner's prayer. And, uh, and with all your heart to mean, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for the cross where you died to 
pay the penalty for my sin. Well, everybody hates a nagger, right? But I don't think the Lord's going to say that to any of his kids. I got so tired of you nagging me to answer that. The Lord will never say that. I had such great delight, and I put those burdens in your heart because I knew you would never come to me unless you had this burden and that burden, that issue and that. I'd, I'd hardly hear. I'd hear from you only on the fly, right? You'd send me an email. But he said, I wanted to enjoy your presence. I wanted you to enjoy me. I wanted you to grow up. So come to me. Come to me. Good a good lesson from a bad example. Praise the Lord. Shall we pray? Father, thanks so much for this wonderful parable, and may we learn the lesson of it. Grow us up individually, Lord, to be prayer warriors as the days pass, asking you, trusting you for much. Uh, thank you for the psalmist. The Lord heard my voice, and he delivered me from all my fears. Lord, I pray for that. Make a, make a difference in the world to us this week. To all that we should meet, may we be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand and join us. You know, I'm absolutely amazed at how much things have changed since I went to school. Um, I remember quiet bus rides where we were alone with our thoughts. Today, my kids are inundated with very graphic, popular music in elementary school on the bus. And they get like a half-hour bus ride each way every day, but they're exposed to, to adult pop music, like Katy Perry's most graphic lyrics. Thankfully, they don't understand what they're hearing yet. But my point is, we should support our Christian radio stations. We have some good ones in this area. And when people like Twyla Paris do come through the area, I go see her. She is gifted by God in being able to lead thousands of people in a concert setting <coughs> in worship. And we're going to end with His Exalted today. Thank you.